0: Hey everyone, we're live now. This is just a short podcast, short weekend podcast. It's a beautiful day where I am. I hope it is nice where you are and you're having a wonderful weekend. Tomorrow, of course, is the Lord's Day and I hope your hearts are prepared or at least you're getting prepared to go and worship uh, tomorrow. Um, Just a few things I wanted to talk about. This is a news roundup. So there's been a number of issues that people have brought to my attention over the last two weeks that I haven't been able to get to uh, because of traveling and then also the big blow up over Christian culture, Christian nationalism, all of that. I felt like uh, I needed to weigh in a little bit on that and a lot of people were asking me to. So a few things got put on the back burner that I want to get to now because they're important enough, I think, to to talk about. So um, hope everyone's, uh, like I said, doing well out there. I know it's a Saturday, so uh, many of you will probably listen to this in its recorded form, given that you're probably out there already having a good time, at least for many of you. Uh, And uh, I I hope that's the case. So um, to begin with, I want to share with you something that hopefully will help someone out there. I get requests sometimes or questions about, John, where can I find a good job? I just got canceled or I'm afraid I'm going to get canceled or um, I want to work for an employer that shares what I believe. And and that is a perfectly legitimate question to ask. You don't, if it's possible for you not to suffer in a job, I think it's reasonable to assume it would be better to go to a place where you can work to provide for your family where you don't have to suffer like that and have that uh, hanging over your head. So one of the things that I wanted to share with you is a, uh, a new sponsor for this podcast, uh, New Founding, and uh, they have a talent Uh, So New Founding is an overall organization that does a number of things. But one of the things they do is they have a a, a job uh, kind of like, I guess, maybe what LinkedIn would do, uh, serving a purpose like that, networking people so that you can be connected with someone who is looking for an employer who's looking for someone like yourself. Uh, They don't want people who are uh, from Silicon Valley, maybe at their tech company. They'd rather have someone that they know is going to be reliable and not, uh, not, not, uh, try to make life hard for them. And I think that's just a natural thing. You want to be working with people who in generally, uh, generally speaking, share your values and, uh, all of that. So, uh, check it out. Newfounding.com forward slash talent, uh, is the direct link. Uh, if you go to, uh, in fact, I'll put it in the, the, uh, the comment section right now. So those who are live streaming and want to go check it out, you can go check it out. Uh, if you, um, if you go to my website, if you go to, there's two ways to find it. Now you can go to um, John Harris if you want, or worldview conversation.com. We'll, we'll go to John Harris podcast and all of this stuff comes up and there's a jobs tab. If you click on that jobs tab, it's going to have my affiliate link. So they'll know that you, you heard about it from the conversations that matter podcast Uh, And so uh, check them out. By the way, while I'm here, I should just let everyone know um, there are some speaking engagements coming up. And next week I'll talk more about this and I'll give you ways, uh, at least in in one case, uh, to register. But June 10th, uh, I'll be speaking in DeForest, Wisconsin at the Be Not Conformed conference. Now, um, I was going to make this announcement uh, this week, but I think next week is when I'm gonna start pushing for it more and and giving you more information about who's speaking and what the times are and everything. But, but well, I guess I already put down there two two to eight p.m. on June 10th. It, it, there's also going to be the 11th because I'm going to be preaching at DeForest uh, Evangelical Free Church on the 11th. But um, but I'll, I'll just uh, let you know now uh, before uh, I've put everything out there, uh, which I will do next week, June 10th and 11th. If you're in that area, mark your calendars, DeForest, Wisconsin the Be Not Conformed Conference. I'm going to be there. Dr. Russell Fuller is going to be there. Uh, Stephen Wolfe is actually going to be there. Before the whole controversy the last few weeks, he was booked to be there, and he's still going to be there. And I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, and there may be some others. So um, even if you live maybe a state away or something, you may want to consider this just for encouragement, just to be around like-minded people. And if you have questions, this is a great time to bring those questions up. So uh, DeForest, Wisconsin, June 10th at the DeForest Evangelical Free Church. There's some other events coming up too. In September, uh, there's going to be a men's conference, September 21st through 24th in Speculator, New York, which is a beautiful facility in the Adirondacks, uh, Camp of the Woods. And we did our men's retreat there last year. I've added an extra day and uh, we have speakers actually. Some speakers already lined up. Uh, Tom Rush is going to be speaking. He's one of the trustees for the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, but he was, uh, he's a former military commander and, uh, I think he's, it's going to be great from that angle. I've asked him to speak maybe a little bit about his military experience and what he's learned. And, um, and of course I'm going to be there, uh, Lord willing, Adi Robles is going to be there. And, um, Andrew Rappaport is going to be there. I've asked him to speak and there's a few others that I'm going to talk to about coming and speaking as well, but it's going to be a good time. Uh, when, when we do this, people know from last year, it was my first time ever trying to organize one of these, but when we do a retreat. Or in this case, it's a it's, it's bigger than that because I, I had an extra day. So a conference, you could call it a retreat, I suppose uh, it's I don't want to just sit there and listen to lectures. That's I, I've always been like that at conferences. Uh, and if you like that, that's fine. You know, no judgment. But um, I, I think most guys, probably most and I, I think I'm not alone in this. Uh, we enjoy the fellowship of the conferences, the doing things together. So when we have campfires at night and we go for hikes and we play basketball at the, the, the gym, or you go fishing, bring your fishing stuff, right? Uh, you're going to have a great time with other men doing those kinds of things. And some, sometimes I think that's the more meaningful thing you pull away from these events. It's not all the speeches you heard, which are important, certainly, but it's, uh, or, or, or preaching it's, uh, the relationships that form. So, uh, so anyway, I'll have more information about registering for that because there's a price with that. We're trying to knock it down as much as we can but um but staying somewhere and, and having all your meals provided for you at a really nice uh, place for a few days does cost a little bit so we're going to figure out ways though for those who can't pay for it to to be able to have you there. I don't want anyone excluded from this who wants to come and um anyway, so that's coming up and then the Jesus and politics conference also october twenty first is coming up and and you could pray because um I, I can't say much about this, but someone approached me who wants to put on a big conference possibly this summer. And I, I'm, I I can't say much more beyond that, but just pray that uh see that the Lord's will would be done in that and and, um, and that and that would come to fruition. You know, we need we need more encouragement. And I think that's one of the things a, a conference can serve uh to do. We need more um events. That people can come around, get to know each other, relax together, laugh together, uh, have a just share, you know, fellowship, all of that. So that's coming up. All right. Well, uh, now that we've gotten the, some of the announcements out of the way, I want to start uh, looking at some of the stories that I have somewhat neglected, I suppose, uh, because of other matters that seem to be more pressing. And we'll get into some of those matters too. And if people have questions today, I'll be happy to do what I can. But uh, the SBC, well, let's talk about the SBC a little bit. Uh, the SBC uh, is ha- has taken somewhat of a stand, it seems, to back go- Governor Lee's. This is now, I guess, old news for some of you, but uh, like this article was published April 17th. But I just think it's worth noting, at least, that they've taken uh, a position on Governor Lee's guns law proposal. Now, you might say, John, why is this important? And the reason I think it's important is if you go back two years, I think it is, You'll listen to a, an interview. If you, Some of you might remember this. Matthew Nallon from Conservative Christians of Tennessee was on this po- podcast. And Matthew Nallin, uh made the point that the ERLC, and I guess he had, he had tagged them online. Um, I don't know to what extent he had reached out, but whether he did or didn't, I guess is somewhat irrelevant. He was trying to get a hold of uh, people at the ERLC to say, "Can can you please support the heartbeat bill that... Is happening right now in Tennessee. We want to get this passed. This is before Roe v. Wade was overturned. And uh, he couldn't get anywhere with the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptists. This was when Russell Moore was there. And um, and it was just odd, uh, he thought, because they're based in Tennessee. They're in Nashville. And so th- this was something that troubled him. And, and it, to, the defense I remember at the time from people who wanted to defend the ERLC was they only get involved in national matters, John. They don't get involved in state stuff. They just get involved in national matters, and that's what their focus is, and that's what Southern Baptists pay them to get involved with. So I, I'm old enough to remember this, and now we, we have the ERLC weighing in on not abortion in Tennessee, but guess what? Red flag laws. And I know that's, um, I, I don't have time to go over all of it. There, one of the uh, representatives was caught on a hot mic basically saying, you can't call it a red flag law. We, we got to brand it something else. But essentially what it is, it, it is a red flag law. And, and that's a controversial thing. So they're stepping into this controversial thing. That's really not as important as you abortion. You wouldn't think, but they're way they're, they're coming in on the side of let's restrict uh, the sale of firearms. Let's, let's have uh, laws in the books where a, uh, w- where I think the way that governor Lee, and I, I don't know what iteration ended up being the one that he brought to the fore, but I think the one that he was, um, trying to support was that law enforcement officials would be restricted to them. They would be able to put people, I guess, with complaints from citizens on the red uh, flag list or the they, they couldn't purchase firearms. And of course, the concern with red flag laws is w- w- there's already a like I was actually just on the phone. It's interesting. I'll just I'll, I'll approach it this way, approach it from the perspective of a firearms uh, dealer. And they have certain requirements they have to meet in order to sell certain kinds of firearms in certain places. And I was just on the phone with someone this morning in the state of Missouri who, two years ago, was raided by the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And it was because he ended up uh, essentially the final straw was they had set him up, they had ATF agents go into his store and they it was it looked like a couple a man and a woman and the woman signed all the paperwork for some firearms and the man is the one who handed over the money and uh this was taken from the atf to be a a, illegal because she she didn't hand the money he handed the money right so it gets that technical and so he was the one purchasing the firearms and you can't have it you can't have someone purchase firearms for someone else uh if it's not uh you know they don't have a background check and so this became a big thing. And, um, and I, you know, I remember this from going like a few years ago and, and this was in New York. I don't know if this was state, this is probably state law at the time. Uh, but I had tried to, um, purchase a firearm for my wife and I was pretty honest about it. I was just like, uh, yeah, I'm going to be paying for this, but it, we, we have a joint account, right? So it's, it, we have a joint bank account. It's that she, you could say she's paying for it too. But when I said it was a gift, I remember they got really weird with me and they didn't want to sell it. And they, it's like it was all this weird stuff. And I'm like, you know, I, I really don't I, I don't want to go through. I don't want to do this. Um, and, and I just I, I didn't purchase it. Um, this was a few years ago. So my recollection is a little fuzzy. But anyway, it, it, it's a similar scenario. And uh, and so anyway, the ATF comes, raids him. Take, he doesn't even have a gun store anymore. They took, I think, one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of guns from this guy. And he doesn't have a gun store anymore. He can't sell anything. And it's like little stuff like that, that I think most common people think that's ridiculous, right? Well, one of the points that he was making to me when we were talking, he goes, how can you, um, if someone's going to lie, which is what happened in this case, she's lying, right? She's filling out this ATF agent lied, said that they were, she was the one purchasing these firearms. But then because the husband, presumably the one who looked like the husband was giving the money, then um it, it's now illegal and he's like how am i supposed to police that what if someone lies on their paperwork what, what what do i do about that there's no in other words you can come up with the most restrictive system that you possibly want to come up with you cannot 100 percent foolproof. if you're going to still sell firearms you cannot uh, regulate the hearts of men completely there's no way to do it there's no mechanism and and in our country of course most states uh reciprocate the uh, Second Amendment, they have some law in their books that's very much similar to that. Um, but, you know, we have this this value system in our country that those who want to use firearms for righteous means of protection or hunting or you know whatever, it's really more for self-defense. And um, and and the Second Amendment itself, of course, was for uh, the restraining or keeping a check on the uh, tyrannical government if it were to come into place. You know, these things are valid reasons to have firearms and, and you, you, you have to allow law abiding citizens, decent, ordinary Americans to be able to purchase these firearms uh, while at the same time, restricting those who would use it for criminal activity as much as you possibly can, right? This is the, this is, this is the, the challenge and the ERLC wants to weigh in on this. We have so many restrictions already and they want more though. They want more restrictions. Uh, restrictions that will end up, and this is the assessment of firearms advocacy groups and, and Second Amendment advocacy groups. Governor Lee's proposal would have uh, completely um, given the government a means by which to suppress the rights of ordinary or decent Americans. That's the problem with it, and the RLC seems to think that's important enough to weigh in on, and that and it's the priority that should concern you. Whether no matter what you come down you know what position you have on this um that should probably somewhat uh concern you uh let's get to this next i don't know i have these out of order i guess a little bit um let's talk about uh no i don't want close that well now i lost what i was going to talk about okay well we'll we'll keep going with the erlc thing here someone remind me though because uh i had i did want to talk about the methodist a little bit and i just deleted the article all right erlc um so here, here's another example of this. I mean, they, they tweeted that they even made a, a little video to try to support Governor Lee's proposal, which is just it's over the top. They have a whole explainer on their website, April 21st, 2023. And it's not a red flag law or like all that stuff. It's, it's an order of protection. It's, it's this, it's that. Uh, and then, you know, Capstone Report pointed out, this is kind of funny, that the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission uh, promoting Governor Lee's red flag law will now have a Bill Lee staffer on the ERLC trustees. So one of Billy, Billy staffer is on the trustees. And and since this, they're both based, you'd think that'd be a conflict of interest since they're both based in Tennessee. Though there's gotta be a lot of overlap. And maybe this is that um, evidence of that, that, that there's overlap here, that there's uh, the people in, in the Lee administration are on the ERLC, maybe that explains why they're doing this, why they're taking the stand and they feel comfortable putting their resources of decent Southern Baptists giving money to the cooperative program towards uh, infringing on uh, the sale of firearms uh, when they didn't feel that way a few years ago about the heartbeat law in Tennessee, which is just weird. It's just weird. Uh, it's, it just shows a lack of uh, priority. So um, wanted to point that out now more Southern Baptist convention stuff, and I'll get to the president's race just in a moment. Uh, I don't have much to say about that yet, but Um, Mike Keybone, uh, apparently someone now I don't have it in front of me. Uh, he, he, I believe he, he, he serves on a committee, an SBC committee. I'm trying to remember which one it might've been the sexual abuse task force. Um, anyway, either way, this is, this is interesting. Okay. Someone from, so, so this is an insider, someone from within the SBC, the convention is just around the corner. He posts on April 25th. As a convention, we have committed to walk with survivors of sexual abuse. One way you can help is to help them attend the annual meeting. Please share. Well, please share what? So it's a GoFundMe. So if you click on this GoFundMe, it's, they've already raised over $16,000. Um, and it, the whole point is uh, to provide survivors with an opportunity to network with SBC leaders and messengers. Uh, so to pay for their travel, lodging, and food costs. So this is, so it's trying to get people to come to the convention who are quote unquote survivors, people who are victims of, uh, sexual abuse, or they may just, they may think they're victims of sexual abuse and, uh, they, in SBC circles, presumably SBC churches. And if they can go to the convention, what does that serve? We, we saw what happened with Hannah Kate a few years ago. We see how, how these people are oftentimes used. I think even Hannah Kate said that later that she felt like she was being used, and that is what happens. They, they end up being used often as political pawns. Um, you know, you know, I don't know. There, there's just so many things to say about this. But if if you really were concerned, you you wouldn't I wouldn't think you would need to do a convention uh, thing like this unless there was some political move that was going to be happening, which is, I think, exactly what's happening. There's a political move taking place. So getting these people to come to the convention, um, maybe even making a spectacle of it like has been that's been done in the past uh, is going to serve a purpose. And there's money being raised for this kind of thing from within the SBC, like put the shoe on the other foot. What if uh, this was uh, people who have been falsely accused, right? Of sexual indiscretion or raising funds because they've been falsely accused and they they need to come to the SBC. We're going to have a resolution for them or something. Uh, I I know that that would gain, that that would probably be stories in the Washington Post and the New York Times about this. I, I guarantee it. There would be stories in the Houston Chronicle and the Tennessean and they'd all gang up on this and say how horrible it is but this is brave this is good right that that's the uh the the standard that we're uh, left to deal with here um another uh SBC related item the, so from the washington post may 1st southern baptist leaders selection process fails amid disputes a powerful southern baptist committee was looking to appoint a new leader monday who could navigate controversy controversies over its handling of sexual abuse, uh, reforms, and ousting of churches with women serving as pastors. Instead, the executive committee found itself tangled in yet another dispute, voting down a recommendation to make it uh, its own former chairman, its president, that was Wellham, in what had been a racially fraught decision. That 50 to 31 vote came after some of the denomination's prominent black clergy questioned the selection process which they saw as bypassing an African-American pastor who has led the committee as interim president for more than a year. The selection process hit a nerve in a denomination that has lost some black clergy in recent years over what they have seen as a failure of the mostly white led. All right, let's just stop here. Go back with me down memory lane for a moment since really since ninety five. You could probably say you might be able to say, I think there was late 80s. There was a resolution against uh, burning down uh, historically African-American churches. But but I think generally people start in 95 and then it gets maybe 2011 is where this really gets amplified every year. It seems there has to be some kind of a resolution against racial discrimination racialized uh violence or or symbols that some people associate with possibly racism or like that has been going on for over a decade and and it's every convention uh the last convention it was uh, the native american thing uh before that for for years in a row it was mostly related to segregation slavery type stuff and 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 just constant uh constant denouncements of things that took place in the past and all of that. And we've talked about this before. Now, despite all that, despite all the, the ways in which Southern Baptists have tried to bend, bend over backwards, in which they've even declared that you know, they've apologized, they've, they've had their apologies accepted, all of that, we still have this issue in the SBC. And my contention, and I said this a few years ago uh, during 2019 debate of Resolution 9, this will never go away. You keep giving a moose a muffin. You keep uh, encouraging this kind of behavior when you keep caving to it. And every year they cave to it. And every year they get they're still guilty. They're still guilty and proven innocent of some kind of racial insensitivity. And so it it doesn't gain you anything, uh, progressives in the SBC. It just does not gain you anything to try to appease these people. Uh, If the, the left is going to still assume that you're racist, it doesn't matter how many things you try to say to prove otherwise. It doesn't matter what you do. Even what you do will be used against you. So that being said, the executive committee meeting in private session in Dallas on Monday voted down a recommendation from its search committee to choose a white pastor, Jared Wellham. Now, they're, they're, that, we're, we're down to this now. It, it, it's a white pastor. Wellum him himself had been a chair of the executive committee's board until resigning last month. Under committee bylaws, presidential selection process will begin anew under new search committee, which was created on Monday. Bishop A.B. Vines, a former SBC vice president and former president of the National African-American Fellowship within the SBC, wait, I, I just have to ask a question. Can, why, why is there a national African-American fellowship within the SBC? I mean, are there other ethnicities represented in their fellowships in the SBC? What what if someone created the Irish fellowship in the SBC or, or just a white fellowship in the SBC? Well, what would happen? I'm just curious. Would that be a problem? Would that be racist? But there is a national... Anyway, <laughs> challenged the selection process last week in an open letter to the executive president. Sorry, the executive committee. He noted that Black pastor Willie McLaren, with experience as a Tennessee Baptist Mission Board staff member, has served as a committee's interim president since 2022. Two other SBC agencies recently hired interim leaders to permanent positions. Vines didn't take issue with Wellam, but said the process was secretive and didn't pass the smell test. That's right. The denomination always seems to have issues with hiring a person of color for a senior leadership position, wrote Vines, pastor of New Seasons Church in Spring Valley, California. We have made resolution after resolution from apologies on slavery to, to Confederate flags, but they won't be effective if the heart of the convention does not change. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to this. After the vote, Vines told the Associated Press, today's vote was about process and integrity. Today we showed watch the watching world that we honor both. So, so, <laughs> and I'm, you know, I don't know a lot about Welland, but I'm sure he's probably, if he's in the position he's in, he's, he's gone along with all this stuff. He probably voted Let's denounce the Confederate flag. Let's let's denounce the alt-right. Let's uh, let's take make another resolution against racism. Let's do this and that. And this is where it gets you. The heart isn't changed. The heart still isn't changed. You you can do all these external things and the suspicion is still there. It doesn't pass the smell test. Uh, You are guilty and proven innocent in this woke stuff. And uh, and it's just sad to me. It's just sad that anyone would would try to appease it. We just got to stop. Just, you know, stop trying to appease it. Stop trying to prove that we're not racist because look what we sign, look what we like just stop it's nonsense it's nonsense at this point it's just it, it it's a um it, it's a means by which to grant control to people who don't have your best interest in mind and it's this is uh proving that fact i do believe all right uh someone just pointed out mike stone is trying again for sbc president position that is true uh And, um, I haven't reached out yet. I'm, I'm going to reach out though, to Mike stone. I plan to reach out to him and just ask him if he wants to be on the program to talk about, uh, what he plans, because the thing is new Orleans, I was just talking to an SBC guy about this yesterday. Who's who has a position in the SBC and, uh, it, it, it's very difficult. What's going on right now is this, you have a situation in which the, conservative baptist network and you could say conservatives more broadly in the denomination they lost in nashville uh which which some people were saying well we, we were new we were just getting started we barely lost we can win it all right fair enough then they lost in anaheim so and then the 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 reason has been well it was california it's liberal we can't do it there the next time okay so now you're in uh new orleans so you're in a southern state you're in the bible belt uh, the, the people from the surrounding area who can show up are going to be your people. You would think this is the year then you have to pull it off, right? If, if you can't pull it off in new Orleans as conservatives, you won't be able to pull it off anywhere. And, and the, the issue is so many churches have left and disengaged and saw the nonsense and feel a lack of leadership and just don't want to fund what's going on anymore. And, and that's, that's what's happened. And whether you like it or not, that's just reality. You just have to deal with that fact. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, and, and I know there's there's still a, a contingent of pastors who really just want to fight. Let's pay that whatever it is, $18 a year. And uh, and then we go to the convention and we get a migraine. And you know what? Even that might be just a bridge too far for some people. Like they, they, They're they not in the SBC to have a fight every year and get a migraine and pay all the money to, to go to the SBC. They want to be in the SBC because they want to do ministry. And if, if ministry is not being done the way that it should then they'll do something else and and I think that's why people have left I, I don't question anyone's motives for why they w- might want to leave so anyway uh that's that that's the the uphill battle and and the fact that the conservative Baptist network did not have Mike Stone as a candidate until very recently is a, a little bit odd and if I have Mike stone on I'll ask about that because normally they have someone announced much beforehand, but now uh it, it just seems like it's so uh last minute and so um so so the question is, can they pull it off now? Um, I will reserve any, anything about Mike stone or what Mike stone would do, how he, if he did win, which would be great, right. For the SBC, how would he then take on the task? That's going to take decades to try to reform this organization. You're going to have to be aggressive. Uh, and those are the, some of the questions that i like to ask him. So I'm going to leave that for, um, when we possibly have them on if we can, but, uh, but anyway, that's, that's what's going on, um, in the SBC world. Now, I, I delete, <laughs> I got rid of the tab and I need to pull it back up if I can find it again. Um, the Methodist, the United Methodist church. Let's see here. Well, yeah, it's not coming up. It it was, uh, let me, let me try one more thing here. MC see split. Okay. uh, So in East Tennessee, the United Methodist split is now official. 264 churches approved to leave the uh, Houston-Holston Conference. The breakup of the United Methodist Church has now officially come to East Tennessee in the local expression of a historic church schism. One in three congregations in the regional Holston Conference were approved to leave the denomination at a special meeting Saturday. A worldwide faith... The United Methodists claim more than 6 million U.S. members, making it the nation's largest mainline Protestant denomination. As Holston Conference, Bishop Deborah Wallace Pageant reminded the church representatives gathered at a packed Central United Methodist Church in Knoxville, the split is just the latest in a long history of fractures. Uh, The reason for this particular split have long been in dispute, though far from a majority, a significant portion of UMC churches, largely in the South, have moved to leave the denomination amid debates over, you guessed it, Church sanction of same-sex marriage and gay clergy. Others reject this. So so here's it's the same conflict that we've been hearing about. But now you have 264 churches departing. They're leaving the organization. This is what I think is happening all over the place. Just all over the place. Um, You know what? What you have is essentially uh, organizations and denominations fracturing they're not even so much splitting that's the thing they're not so much splitting they are fracturing which means that smaller and smaller groups are forming and they're forming around uh, shared you know whether it's region uh shared commitments even political stuff that's what they're forming around uh and some people say this is terrible i I happen to think actually this this is good uh come out from among them uh you know the point is to do ministry. It's to build the kingdom of God. It's not to die on the hill of this organization. We're talking about ministry here, right? So I think it can be a good thing. I think in smaller units working together for common goals, uh, more can probably be accomplished. Now, there are certain instances in which for legal representation, for example, it's good to have a a large group of people that pool their resources and and hopefully organizations like ADF continue and that kind of thing. But um, but for, for ministry purposes, I think general, generally speaking, it is better to have smaller organizations. There's more accountability in smaller organizations. Uh, there's more trust built in smaller organizations. There's a scale issue that is avoided in smaller organizations. Uh, well, James Cook says, I want my church out of the SBC because I want to be in no way complicit in condoning the rank idiocy of the ERLC. And I understand that. Speaking of the ERLC, uh, since you reminded me, uh, James, Let's watch a little bit of a podcast that happened two months ago. uh, And this is from the ERLC,
1: they want to know what's safe. And what's inclusive. And I know those are words now that are tainted in many ways. Mm -hmm. But when I look at Gen Z, can, is this a safe place for them to have these type of conversations? Are they invited in? You know, as I work with college students, they always want to know: Is, is this a safe place for me to be invited in? Mm. Can I can I look at it a little bit differently for you? And this becomes a gospel as you move forward. And here's why: because they're the ones that are either going to take the message of Christ to the world, or begin and you're seeing this in culture begin to evangelize the church because they believe we're wrong. Right. And so we have the opportunity to show them as Southern Baptists, we have the opportunity to show them: Hey, we can re- we can look at our past. We can reconcile with that and move us forward and by the way this becomes a place where black and brown and white and all the different menagerie of colors can come together to serve a great god towards his kingdom end but the way that we do that is we do that together and this is the safe place to have those conversations Uh, we have to have listening ears for this generation because Mm. they want to be heard and by the way they love experts they love experts more than anybody i've ever met in my life Mm. again gen z we don't trust experts they love Right. experts. And mm. they want people that are expertise on it. But the expertise when it comes to racial reconciliation right now is not found in the church. Mm. And it is critical for us to be able to be that safe place for them, to uh, be able to exude a lot of their angst, but also to learn how to move forward. So right. when the gospel moving forward with Gen Z, I think it's massively important. To our students.
0: Okay. Uh <laughs> What do we do with that? So the the experts apparently are outside the church. The experts who are going to show the way for the church to accomplish quote-unquote racial reconciliation are outside the church. It's And this is one of the points I have made. I, I make it in the book, Christianity and Social Justice. I've been making it for years. These people think that, he, he said it was a gospel issue. They, they think that the gospel is better applied, worked out, whatever. It's better exemplified by people outside the church than inside. This is the whole point of Eric Mason's Woke Church. We can learn from the uh, South African anti-apartheid organizations and the denazification program of Germany. And the church needs to learn from these things because it's about the gospel. It, 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 all these things, so aren't these aren't Christians. They don't have the gospel. They're not applying the gospel. They don't believe the gospel. They're political activists. They're trying to uh, create situations in which you have equity on a social level. That's not the gospel, guys. I don't know why this is so hard, but you have someone at the ERLC, the, namely the president of the organization or director, or I think president, sitting there with someone who also now works for the Southern Baptist. Some, somehow he's, a, he's in the system somewhere and they're talking to each other and their conversation shows that, you know, we don't really have confidence in this whole gospel thing in the church. Guess what? We believe that the confidence is in the gospel, but it's not the in the church gospel. It's it's the outside the church. It's the experts out there. And, and and you know, pragmatically, guys, you got to go along with us because the young people, they love the experts. They love the experts so much. We got to create a safe space. And that safe space means we, we listen to the experts. We listen to Fauci, right? And we listen to Kendi. We listen to all the experts on these things. That is insanity. That's insanity. You want to kill your denomination. That's exactly what you do right there. We don't have anything to offer you guys. It's all out there, but guess what? I know you're out there. Come on inside and be a and come to the safe place, the safe space where we are. Uh wh- 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 how what's attractive about that? You're not attracting anyone, not one person not, is attracted to the quote unquote church when they say to, to that person, we don't have the answers. But the world does. <laughs> That's a great argument for leaving the church and getting involved with the world. Why why not just join some NGO or the Democrat Party or some organization where you can, I guess, live out the gospel better than you can in a church? Why be a missionary when you can be a community organizer or an activist or something? You could work for Black Lives Matter. I mean, I guess that's they, they know about racial reconciliation more than the church does. Right. I mean, that's can you see how this is one of the worst ideas that has ever been presented for church it, it, that's the thing for church growth he's presenting it as like this is what gen z needs or not z yeah z this is what the zoomers need they love the experts so this is what they need they need us to listen they need us to do this and that and uh cater to them and if and then they'll be at church then they'll they'll be with us if we just do a b and c well what's a b and c a b and c is we got to tell them that we don't have the answers and where they came from has the answers oh wow that's brilliant guys that's brilliant that's <laughs> uh, so anyway yeah, I might get in trouble for this segment, but I, I just can't. I can't. It's like saying, you know what? The church has been so bad. The church is basically the Klan. It's, it's, an, it's the Nazi party. That's, the church has been complicit in all these things. But guess what? Not now. Not now. We're listening to the experts. We've been bad for so long. Why would you want to org- like join an organization? What if the neo-Nazis came knocking on your door? right? I'm using them as an example, not because I want to beat up on Nazis uh, more so than I do. Uh, you know, communists or, or other uh, political philosophies. I'm using it because the people at the ERLC would, would condone with it, would, they would condemn that strongly, right? They condemn Nazis all day long. And, and if a Nazi came to your door somewhere from the Nazi party and said, you know uh, we've been wrong about some things and we're reforming, uh, come join us. We're more inclusive now. And, you know, we appeal to Gen Z or something like that. You, you'd laugh right you'd like you'd say that's the silliest thing like change the name if, you, if you've really changed your whole belief system and your the way you approach things change your name because that name means something that name uh, has there's historical stuff that comes with that name right and it's the same thing when you keep denigrating the church cutting it down Say the bride of christ doesn't know what they're doing it's the experts outside the church they know what they're doing and you keep doing that over a series of time you're you're Saying that they're they've lost credibility, they don't have any. So then, why would you join that organization? Because two seconds ago they decided to reform. It makes no sense, guys. All right, I, I got to stop. <laughs> uh, you will be on the naughty step. Yes, I agree, Jason O'Brien. Uh, whatever the naughty step is, I will be in trouble. Okay, uh, where where are we going now? Let's let's talk about um, man. I don't even know uh, some some just general overview of of some things i've noticed all right so um, this is one of the things i wanted to point out to you this is an article from uh 2021 but here's the thing that someone pointed this out to me recently i didn't realize it was like this the average u.s congregation gathers in a building that seats around 200 only 65 attend the medium church each week this means that half of all churches have fewer than 65 people in their weekly worship service in the last 20 years, the average attendance has been more than cut in half. Dropping in each fact sheet, the median worship service attendance among U.S. congregations has declined from 137. So we have 137 in 2000, and now it's 65. That's crazy. Uh, now, this is in 2021, so maybe COVID had some effect on this, but I, I don't know. But, but the thing is, um, when you have a decline uh, in membership, when you have... Uh, when you have a situation where the, the church Christians are losing that they can't even organize together because they're not meeting together, or it, maybe it's showing that there weren't, there aren't as many Christians as you thought or, or something like that. But either way, as an institution, the church has less clout, has less uh, respect. They have less influence. Um, why, why would it even, you know, politicians used to, and still in some places they do have to cater to, to the church. Even if they're crooked, they have to, they can't offend the Christians, right? Cause that's votes. Well, if the church now has less members, that that pressure isn't there as much. And I submit to you, that pressure is a good thing. It's a very good thing. You don't want to live in a place, because I live in one, where that pressure isn't there. When that pressure isn't there, the potential for evil increases exponentially. When the gay lobby is more powerful than the, the church sitting people, the pew sitters, then you are going to have a, that's the tipping point, guys. And and you can get more votes by acquiescing to them. That's the tipping point. And the people who are complaining about cultural Christianity don't seem to understand this. I And I don't want to insult anyone unnecessarily. I don't know where everyone's coming from on this. But I get the distinct impression sometimes that some of the people who criticize this are, one, from the Bible Belt. So they're looking at, from the inside, they're seeing problems of hypocrisy, which is true. But they don't have much to compare it to. They haven't lived for long periods of time in like Seattle or, or New York City. Um, so so that's, that's one observation I've had. Most of the people that are critiquing it from the Bible. The other thing is I wonder sometimes how many of the people that critique it have actually really worked in a overtly secular field where they've had to make decisions and been pressured to compromise. That changes your outlook a bit. That changes the way that you view things. And trust me, you value cultural Christianity. My, my brother is a good example. He moved from New York to Tennessee as a school teacher He's doing the same job and it's night and day of a difference uh, as far as uh, feeling the whether or not you have to compromise or whether you're going to lose your job or with all of that. Uh, and, you know, th- there's another gay thing that that's being implemented. And what am I going to do? And all and now none of that. It's night and day difference. You could say, well, those people in Tennessee are a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, mo- a lot of them probably are. But you can't tell me that's not a better environment to live in. Right. So. This is the situation we're in where there's a diminishing influence. And while there is a diminishing influence of of Christianity, the church, biblical morality, all of that, we have simultaneous to that a resurgence of paganism. And that, man, I I guess I got rid of that tab too. There was a Satanist rally. See if I can pull it up. There's a Satanist rally that just uh, happened showdown at no oh, that's not what i wanted man now i don't know how uh, i got rid of all these tabs that i had i had them all set up here it was the largest one on record oh this wasn't the article but i'll read it uh this is the satanic temple dedicating largest satanic gathering in history to boston mayor will require masks it will require masks as <laughs> part of the headline you know, Satan, you know, they'll say hell Satan and think he's powerful, but they, they need those masks. Uh, the Satanic Temple is dedicating the largest satanic gathering to Democratic uh, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu after the group wasn't allowed to deliver a satanic invocation at Boston City Hall. Satan 2023 will take place in downtown Boston, April 28th through 29th. Uh, this is or 30th. This is this is a, an old article. Let me see if I can. Man, I can't find a new article on this for some weird reason one more thing. You know, someone emailed me, um, and I totally, I just have too many things on my mind. I was going to let everyone know that there was a, a Christian trying to go there to counter, uh, to, to witness to these people, which I think is a very noble thing. And I, I don't know exactly what happened with all of that. But the Satan rally did um, uh, did proceed. Uh, here's another story. Okay, this is from WBUR. I'm not sure. I think it's a local affiliate. Uh, hundreds of Satanists will converge and this is another one with uh, a before story. Okay. Well, I guess I failed on this one. I thought I had a, a story that, uh, talked about what actually happened. I saw videos of it. I remember seeing videos. Um, here's another story. More than a hundred Catholics came from across the nation Friday to pray for, uh, reparation outside of the Marriott Copley place in Boston, where this Satan con was being held. Um, so there were some counter protesters that looks like Catholics mainly, which is, I think to be expected. If you are active in pro-life work, you know that this, the case, the Catholics will tend to uh, be a little more organized and they tend to be more engaged sometimes, especially in an area like, like Boston. Um, but let, us just, so I'm just going to go off of what I saw though, uh, and, and let you know what I think. So I saw where there, the, the video, I don't even want to show it. Uh, they're ripping off pages of scripture, throwing them on the ground. You know, oh, this is so brave. And you have people dressed up in makeup, like the profile pic for this video or the, the the thumbnail for this video. And and um, you know it's it's overtly what you'd think of when you think of a Satan rally. It's a little pathetic, I guess. But they you know they think they're being edgy and they're being all of this. And um, and this is not an uncommon thing as much as it used to be. There was an issue, and I think it was uh, last year in. Coeur in Idaho, where there was, it was, it was a situation where I think it was the Democrat party was, um, oh no, no, it was, it was a homosexual activist group. was going to march in some parade and then the Satanists were going to march with them. And it was such a bad look. The, 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 they had, um, they, they had accepted, I guess, an endorsement. I don't remember if it was the LGBT group endorsed to the Satanists or the Satanists endorsed the LGBT group, but there was an affiliation there and they had to cut it off. And it was, the gay group say, saying, Oh no, the Satanists that we, we can't be affiliated with them. And there was too much pressure and stuff. And, and, and the Satanists were just kind of like, I guess, upset about this. And this, this is happening though, more and more and more. Your paganism is uh, ascending ancient. They think it's ancient. Most of it's not, but you know, so quote unquote, ancient pagan stuff is ascending and, you know, people are getting caught up in this. It's happening in my area quite a bit. Um, so, you know, th- this is, this is what Christians are going to have to get used to as things are diminishing in, in churches, you have rallies like this starting to pop up in different places. So I I think that's important to know. And, and and as the Christian organizations, we are being just, I don't get it. We're being foolish. Um, I don't know if people saw it. Let me see if I can show it here. Uh, I'm going to see if I can pull this up for you. There's see the Davenant Institute. Uh, which here it is. Here it is. So this is uh, an organization. Some of you might know what this is. Some of you may not. That's fine. Davenant Institute. Uh, They, this happened, what was it last week? No, it's two weeks ago now Uh, that they announced they were going to publish this book called Coronation by John Milbank. Now John Milbank, uh, I mean, here's a tweet from him from 2020. Uh, Real sacramental marriage is between men and women, but to tell gay couples to be celibate is both crazily unrealistic and incoherent, for it actually seeds too much analogy to heterosexual union. No need to condemn or comment on modes of homosexual affection, effective union. Right. So that's that's John Milbank. Um, (laughs) He's written an article for Davenant, uh, Gay Marriage and the Future of Human Sexuality. So he's written for them before. And they were going to publish his book, and this is an organization that many Protestants—I mean, not many, many, but but enough—you know, uh, those who are more white-collar uh, and, and I guess you know, the educated variety—tend uh, to support Davenant, and their good work. And um, and here's here's what they ended up having to do: they they got pressure from this, and they had to clarify. They said the Davenant Institute stands with Gafcon and the African bishops and their fulsome. Uh, rejection of COE's compromise on same-sex unions. That's Church of England. Uh, In light of details regarding John Milbank's views on the issue, we do not believe we can continue with integrity to publish our forthcoming book on coronation featuring his interview. Good for them. We were not aware of his views in question when we were greenlighted this project, and we regret our failure to give due attention to this matter and how it's sown confusion about Davenant's stance on this important issue. Now, okay, like maybe for some of you, it's hard to believe. You didn't know, really. He published with you... He's been public about this. Like what? Well, here's Susanna Black Roberts, who uh, I think she's on the she, she's she's in Davenant. She's on the, I guess, board of trustees or something. But she goes she goes out there and she says this statement was not run by me first. <laughs> so the statement I just read for you from Davenant. It wasn't run by her uh, before it was issued. And I am deeply sorry for involving John Milbank in this. It's an excellent book and will be published with a different house. So there's infighting this is the only thing I wanted to point out to you. There is infighting in the ranks uh, in these Christian organizations and Davin is a small organization, but there's infighting there about these kinds of things. There's disagreement over stuff that, uh, frankly, you know, should be basic, uh, especially in the times we're living where things are getting darker. It's like, now's the time we stand, we stand clearly, but what we're, um, hampered by is so much infighting over so much nonsense. So, um, Others, one other thing I wanted to bring to your attention uh, about the the current situation wherein someone brought this to my attention uh, the what organization is this uh, the International Commission of jurists this is an NGO non-government uh, entity that's dedicated to helping shape policy I can find where I where my place is um, they have uh, ended up coming out endorsing I'll just read you the language uh, Consensual, consensual sexual conduct, irrespective of the type of sexual activity, (laughs) irrespective of the type, the sex, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression of the people involved in their marital status may not be criminalized in any circumstance. Consensual, here's the the bottom line, Um, same sex, whatever, Uh, even, it says, moreover, sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual, in fact, if not in law. In this context, the enforcement of criminal law should reflect the rights and capacity of persons under 18 years of age to make decisions about engaging in consensual sexual conduct and their right to be heard in matters concerning them. Pursuing to their evolving capacities and progressive autonomy, persons under 18 years of age should participate in decisions affecting them with due regard for their age, maturity, and best interests, and with specific attention to non-discrimination guarantees. They're opening the door to pedophilia. That's all this is. They are uh, you cannot criminalize any same sex or sexual deviancy. And it, it, the next principle, 17, sex work. The exchange of sexual services being con- between consenting adults for money, goods, or services and communication with another about advertising an offer for or sharing premises with another for the purpose of exchanging sexual services between consenting adults for money, goods, or services, whether in a public or private place, may not be criminalized. Absent coercion, force, ab- abuse or of authority or fraud. So if it's consensual, guys, you there's nothing the law can do. That's what they're recommending. This is a, a global organization recommending to governments to make sure that their laws align with this. You, can, you can't criminalize any of this stuff. That's what we're facing, okay? That's what's going on. Just remember the context. And it's in this context that we have some of the debates that, that I, I consider to be just somewhat silly. debate. Even the debate over cultural Christianity and Christian nationalism, I, I consider to be very, very silly. Um, it's happening today. There's a number of tweets even today on this topic. I'm not going to be dragged into all of it. I'll I'll just show you one just so you you can see what's going on. Here's uh, uh, Scott O'Neill from G3. And this is what he has to say. Uh, Behold, a Christian nation. And he's mocking. This is uh, the coronation of Prince Charles that's happening right now. Happened earlier, actually. And um, someone says the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Church of England are apostate. I live here. They support gay marriage, amongst other things, so they aren't really Christians now, are they, Scott? I don't think G3 have a viable solution to offer, not right now. And he asks, do they affirm the Apostles' Creed? And and, and this and there's been a number, I don't, I'm not going to get into all of it, there's been a number of things uh, today in regards to this. One person, uh, it was uh, Chocolate Knox, retweeted him and said, this is a Baptist, it was a picture of Andy Stanley, making the point that, look, someone can take a name for themselves, it doesn't mean that that's authentically what, reflects what is in their heart. They can be an unconverted person proclaiming like Prince Charles did, that he's going to defend the reformed faith, whatever that is now. So, you know, the people who are advocating for a type of Christian culture, it's pretty much what I said earlier. They just think it's a good thing when Christians are in the driver's seats or when people who value Christian values are in the driver's seat rather than rank pagans who want to adopt paganism. That's, that's really all it is. It's better to have Christians making decisions politically uh, is Prince Charles a Christian? No <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, not. not an Orthodox one at all. Maybe there's a certain element of cultural Christianity there where he's uh, I mean he, he's living off of the the capital that has been given to him from previous generations who did hold the faith in high regard. He does not, but he's benefited from growing up in that uh, morality and he's maybe even adopted some of that morality for himself, you know what That's a good thing. But it, overall, Prince Charles is not a Christian. He's, he, in fact, I think he's even more new agey, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, certainly a globalist, certainly, um, you know, with the world economic Forum and all that stuff. I mean, it, it, his agendas do not line up with Christianity. So, is, it, it, and the debate today seems to be over whether or not that is an authentic form of, of cultural Christianity. Which you can, w- William Wolf made actually a good video about this earlier today on his Twitter. You can look at that coronation. You could look at the language that's used and say, that's beautiful, that's good. That's what we want in a king. In fact, thats I felt my heart saying, that's what I want. I want leaders who are going to be like that. That would be great. But we know that this is a relic. This is something from the past that has been preserved through tradition, but it doesn't mean a whole lot anymore because the heart's not there. And if the heart's not there, you lose the form. If you lose the substance, you lose the form eventually. Right now in the United States, we're losing the substance. And the form, but we're, that's the reason we're losing the form is because we're losing the substance. And in the places where there's still, that substance is still there. We need to try to preserve it in the places where it's gone. We have to, people need to be converted. So the substance can come back and then discipled, of course, so that they know what, what to do when they get elected to town councilman. Um, this isn't complicated stuff. And it just seems silly to me with everything that's going on out there that, that fights like this are even out there, that this is even a thought that this is even, um, you know, someone texted me something that was, it was somewhat brilliant, I thought, and it was, um, trying to show this whole debate. And we've talked about this a little bit over the last few videos and it, it from the perspective of people in a prison camp, you, you know, those old movies like Hogan's heroes, uh, it was a show or a great escape, you know, think of those bridge on the river, Kwai, whatever you're in a prison camp. And your overlords, you know, they make all the decisions for you pretty much. And you're in this bunkhouse. Right. And and you and you conspire at night. You get to talk about things. You get to have some privacy. So you're, you're talking about how do we get out of here? That kind of thing. Right. And, and so this person sent me this whole uh, back and forth. Uh, I'm not going to read it to you. It's kind of funny. But he said, look, it, 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 the, the people who want some kind of a cultural Christianity or Christian influence, they're like the guys who are saying we can jump the guards. You know, we can we can do something here they're going to kill us. We're, I saw that they have these gas chambers set up or whatever it is, whatever means they want to use. Uh, they, they got something set up. They're going to kill us. And, um, and so we, this is a plan. We got to form a plan and this is what we're going to do. And, and then the other side who's against that is saying like, no, no, no. You just had, you got to submit Romans 13 and, and you, you need to um you, we got to be careful. We got to think about our witness. What are people going to think when they see you doing that uh, is, you know, like everything they can do, pulling all the stops, to for, for the young, more um, ambitious folks to not carry out their plan, right? And then the young ambition fo- ambitious folks are like, but they're gonna kill us anyway. Like we should do something. And, and no, 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 they're not gonna kill us. We don't, We what are we gonna do? If we, what are we gonna run the prison camp ourselves? We're not called to run the prison camp. We're not, right? So it, it's not a perfect analogy, but it was funny. It was, and the way it was written was pretty funny. And I thought, you know, there is some truth to that though. Like if you look around you and you see what's happening, Especially in places where, like if you live in San Francisco, let's say, it's more secular, uh, more pagan. We'll say pagan. Um, you, you see the net is coming in around you. You see the incremental steps that are be ta- being taken every year towards eventually making Christianity uh, illegal, driving it underground. I know some of these guys seem like they want that. Persecution is the best way to spread it. Or like, okay, if God uses that, that's up to God. But we shouldn't, there's nothing in scripture that commands us to want that we shouldn't want that. That's, that's a little, that's a little weird guys. That's a little, uh, reminds me of like the monks who wanted to like whip themselves and stuff. It's like, no, you, you want, you you should want your neighbors to follow God's law to allow Christianity to continue. And you should use that freedom, uh, for the benefit of spreading the gospel and making disciples and, and, and be thankful for it because God's God's ordained that too. God's also ordained Christian lands to, uh, in, in the past to, um, To 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 create generations to allow for generations to be created that uh, value Christianity. So it's not like I I mean you could look at a modern example. You could look at like Iraq or or Iran. Uh, Look at what's happened there with missionaries. I mean, is persecution is pretty intense? Has that grown the church there? Not really. No. So that's not like a silver bullet. Like that's always going to grow the church. But there there's some guys. I don't I don't get it. Like we should not be involved in this stuff. And if we are, that it's, it's a compromise and we should, persecution a good thing. And um, there's a spectrum there, people, you know, in different places, but it, but it's kind of crazy. So uh, look, look at the situation around us and just think of yourselves, what, what makes sense in this situation? What makes sense is not to be spending a lot of time. And I don't plan to, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty like satisfied with what we've already said. What makes sense is not to spend a lot of time arguing the specifics of like, how do we survive? How do we do this? uh, and, and keep the Christian faith alive in this environment. How do we, it's not to get into the technicalities of it. It's, it's to form various plans. And if people disagree, they disagree. And then you cooperate as much as you can and don't rain on each other's parades. It's going to take a group effort to even just resist in a defensive maneuver to resist this stuff, to hold on to godliness, uh, on, on a social level, uh, to to hold on to just the, the moral law of God being, um, respected on a social level. that that earthly good element there it's going to take a group effort and that's what i i'm committed to if someone's in that battle if someone wants to be in that fight i'm and and they're doing it not the way that i would want to do it i'm not going to rain on their parade but you have a bunch of people who want to rain on the parade of of people who do want to do something and that's that's what's kind of crazy to me it's like look around you uh these conferences these organizations these denominations like the g3 conference like uh, the Southern Baptist convention, like any of these things, they're all threatened. How long do you think they have left? Maybe they have decades. I don't know. Maybe that's possible. I doubt it though. I doubt it. I I think they have years. (laughs) I don't even, I don't feel comfortable saying decades at the current rate at which things are going. So what are you going to do with the time that you have left? Um, if, if things go at the current rate now that might not happen, God, things can turn around. God can do anything, but, um, I'm just saying, a sensible person doesn't, doesn't waste a lot of time, uh, reigning on the parade of other people who wish to defend him as well and wish for him to, to prosper in his family. And that, and that's all, uh, that I've seen from people who want to see Christianity, uh, be respected in a cultural setting. All right. Uh, well that's, that's the podcast today. There's a lot of, uh, oh, someone say Queen Elizabeth is not, a <laughs> that's you know what, Bruno, I, I don't know about your profile pick there. I don't, I, queen elizabeth isn't a true Christian. i i, I don't know about that <laughs> maybe she's maybe she is maybe she's not but um you know her parents probably were and she was certainly more in keeping with christianity than than charles uh, as far as her her values and, and all of that um so let's see uh what about the if gathering someone asked about the if gathering uh i thought we talked about that charles is the antichrist that's that's interesting charles is okay the if gathering um you know, there was a documentary someone sent me. Uh, so first of all, the if gathering, we did a video on that. Um, maybe we'll do more. But for right now, yeah, the if gathering, too. I mean, may, what will happen with a lot of these organizations, probably the if gathering included is as things get more more pagan, they will also become more pagan. Right. So they're going to acquiesce to the LGBT stuff. And, and that's what they're going to compromise. If you don't compromise, though, you'll, you'll be you'll be in trouble. Um. Yeah. Someone says uh, Charles is the antichrist. I someone sent me like I don't know uh, two months ago this video, this documentary video, and I watched like maybe twenty minutes of it of this guy trying to prove that Prince Charles was the antichrist. And and guys, it it was a little nuts. It was a little nuts. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I it was just it it was it was the I don't don't know what to even say. So some of the stuff was just so unusual and weird. I, I I'm like you know. It, if first of all, I think only some um, it would really be premillennial dispensationalists who would even be maybe some premillennialists. I don't know. Premill premillennialists will say might be open to that kind of a thing anyway, right? They're they're the only eschatological branch that's going to be open to even hearing that kind of an argument. And I just got to say, like. We, we don't have the specificity. We, you can come up with parallels. This person doesn't have a desire for women. By the way, Prince Charles does. So how does that fit? I just thought of this. You know, this person doesn't have a desire for women. So it's going to be the Pope, right? Or, or something like that. You can come up with parallels, but or, or it's the Mahdi, right? It's the Mahdi. But you don't know 100%. You'll, you'll never know 100% whether that person is the Antichrist, even in that framework. But I just thought of Prince Charles doesn't seem to actually have one of the qualifications for that because he does desire women. Clearly, he does. Uh, clearly, uh, because that's somewhat what he's known for. All right. Well, um, God bless everyone. I hope that uh, everyone's uh, doing well and having a uh, having a, a good time this weekend. Hopefully, you're ready to, for church tomorrow. Uh, I know I'm actually leading praise and worship uh, music at my church tomorrow, so. Uh, probably my wife and I probably so. it's going to be a stripped down kind of thing but i um, got some good songs and i uh, just looking forward to it so hopefully uh, you all are as well God bless, more coming, bye now